may we take great hope in the inexhaustible themes of Calvary, the hope that pursues us, the forgiveness. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for a beautiful, peaceful, quiet Sabbath. Nature speaks of your masterful artistry. And you speak hope to our hearts. The hope that was just sung about, the hope of the quiet moments, the hope of a new year. So now, Lord, I pray, anoint us as a people. Bless this time reflecting and in the word. And may we look forward to seeing the face of Jesus soon. In his name we pray. Amen. When you come to the end of a year like 2020, it's worthy of a little reflection. Stop and think about where you've been. To prayerfully consider where you're headed. I want you to think of a word for 2020. One word, not two, so that rules out coronavirus, okay? One word. What's your word? I'm going to tell you my word this morning. The word that comes to mind when I think of 2020, at least the last 10 months, is the word fear. The debilitating weightiness of uncertainty. Now, the interesting thing is, is that all through the ages, if there's one thing that's marked God's people, it's that slogan you see in the back of the pickup truck with the rifle hung there, no fear. Now, I just had someone send me a text, which I appreciate. Someone from the West Coast. I believe you're spot on regarding fear. I do believe God's calling us to his divine purposes and power. And when we distrust slash fear, we are essentially saying God is not capable or not interested to work in this situation. I believe in a big God, not a small one, but saying that is much easier than practicing it. And the last line is very telling and very true. This texture writes, and I don't think I'm alone in that. No, she's not alone. Many of us believe in a big God. But the difference between our belief system and our actions is sometimes the disconcerting note. That's where uh, the symphony of stress gets in the way of the movements and the divine opportunities. I read a statement that we've all heard. We've said it here many times before. This time it's out of Christian Experience and Teachings, page 204. It's not the original place. It says, in reviewing our past, having traveled over every step of, of advance to our present standing, I can say, praise God. As I see what God has wrought, I'm filled with astonishment and with confidence in Christ as leader. 
And then the famous lines, we have nothing to fear for the future except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teachings in our past history. And I kept reading because the next few words got my attention. She wrote, we are now a strong people. And I thought to myself, when did she write this? So there's some 40 references to we have nothing to fear for the future. And so I started sifting through them. It's not so much that she wrote, we have nothing to fear for the future. It's the fact that she writes, we have nothing to fear for the future except we forget how God has led us and his teachings in our past. But then that next line, we are now a strong people. I have to admit, pretty focused on that, we are now a strong people. They weren't always a strong people, and just because you were strong doesn't mean you stay strong. So after a little bit of digging, I found where it was initially written. It was written in context with the phrase, we are now a strong people, for the first time in December of 1892. It was written specifically to the General Conference. And it was in the context of a group of people that were getting ready to dismantle part of the organization of the church. I learned, dear brethren of the General Conference, I learned that it's proposed by some of our brethren to do away with the organization of some, at least, of the branches of our work. No doubt what has led them to propose this step is that in some of our organizations, the machinery has been made so complicated as it hinders the work. This, however, is not an argument against organization, but against the perversion of it. Now, after 30 years of pastoring, I've sat on a lot of committees and listened to a lot of discussions and sat in a lot of classroom sessions. And when a church loses its internal vigor, it's not just churches, it's any organization. When a nonprofit, but we'll talk churches this morning, when it loses its internal motivation, when the, when the flywheel of energy is gone from a, a church, it reverts to tinkering with the mechanism. We're going to fix the mechanism by either adding organization or taking organization away from it. Sometimes the way you think you fix the organization is more money. Money in abundance can cover up for a while the absence of the essence of the internal energy of a nonprofit organization. But money is not what makes the organization vital. It just reflects the commitment of those that are connected with the organization. Get rid of the union. That's probably the most common thing I hear or have heard. I don't hear it so much anymore. It's as if somehow that if we fix the bottom line, we'll fix the problem in the organization. I'm here to tell you folks today that an organization is vital, not because of its organization or its money. It's vital because it's vital to the constituents that comprise it. And when it matters to them, the organization will work on their behalf. Does it sometimes get in the way? Probably. It's interesting, this letter, a rather long one. I've highlighted just a few red lines. She says, from the first, our work was aggressive. 
Our members were few and mostly from the poorer classes. Our views were almost unknown to the world. We had no houses of worship, but few publications, very limited facilities for carrying forward our work. The sheep were scattered in the highways and the byways, in the cities and the towns and the forests. The commandments of God and the faith of Jesus was our message. I want you to hear what she's saying. From the first, our work was aggressive. In other words, the level of commitment and the focus of their life was such that like a magnifying glass taking the rays of the sun, it took what little power it had to ignite into flame the fires that would brighten the world and warm the way for so many. She goes on to say, as we near the close of time, Satan comes down with great power knowing that his time is short. Especially will his power be exercised upon the remnant. He will war against them and seek to divide and scatter them that they may grow weak and be overthrown. And it's happening. Churches. It used to be only church schools so much, but very churches themselves in some places, conferences, living life on a bubble. And for those of you that have ever blown bubbles, you know how tenacious and strong and long-lasting they are, right? Dip your little wand in, pull it out, blow the diluted dish soap through the little circle, and watch it float off for a few seconds, and maybe long enough for you to reach out and touch it, and it's gone. God never intended that the devil would be able to flank us, surround us, siege us, or whatever it is he's doing right now. God is in our midst, and Satan cannot divide and scatter and overthrow us and make us weak unless somehow we depart. Now, take your Bibles and go to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. The Old Testament is the sandbox storyteller of the theology of the new. And in Joshua chapter 1, a very successful leader is in the beginnings of taking over a very successful, although very elongated enterprise of journeying to the promised land. Imagine following Moses, if you would. Now, Moses was not the leader. He was the visible representation of Christ, the leader. But when we come to the book of Joshua, we find this transition, and God's going to show Joshua just how this works. Joshua chapter 1, the directive and the encouragement. Moses, my servant, is dead, verse 2. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I've given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and from this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun, will be your territory. Verse 5, this is a, this is a uh, benediction of provision given to Joshua, which is given to you, and it's given to me, and it's given to this church. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. 
Every parent listening to me here today, be strong and be courageous. God has one intention, that you give their chi your children, you pass on to them the birthright of heavenly citizenship, which has been given to you, many of you, by your own parents. Every pastor, every teacher, you're not to be afraid, but remember this, parents, teachers, pastors, leaders, you're locked in a battle. The, the booty of the battle's outcome is the soul of the people you have been given care to. God intended to retake this world through his church. That church failed in the Old Testament. He brought Jesus down to reconstitute it. That church was succeeding in such a way that Rome was so afraid that eventually Rome abandoned its pantheon of gods and chose the monotheistic religion of Christianity. That church morphed into a popular position in modern culture of its day, then began a journey of compromise and corruption. But that church will be reconstituted and is being reconstituted even in the present. And God's provision is a reminder that his presence will go with us all the way. There is a battle in front of us. There are many skirmishes around us now. And God is telling us, I'm with you for victory. And if you fall in my cause, that's victory too. But be strong and courageous for you to give this people, your children, your friends, your church, those who don't know yet, promise of the promised land, which was swore to the fathers some three and a half millennia ago. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. And here's where the qualifiers for success begin to come into play. Be careful to do according to all that the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written to you. For then you'll make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And there's places where God, when he talks to his leaders, like Jeremiah says, don't you dare be afraid in front of them, or I'll make you afraid. Now, this is not the place for sentimentalism. God's love for his people is deep and strong, and woven into the directives is the assurance that not only can you do it, but you're going to be victorious, and on the other side, you're going to be a different person. God is calling all of us to this moment in the 21st century, and if there's one thing that's incompatible with the presence of Christ, it is the experience of fear. And yet many of us so used to managing everything we think, although I appreciated Brother Gusky's prayer, the very breath you're taking is a gift from God. The fact of the matter is, is that fear cannot abide in the presence of Christ. And when he was asleep in the back of the boat and the disciples were rowing for their lives and bailing for their lives, they finally, in a flash of lightning, saw Jesus and said, one more hand might make a difference. But the hands he brought were raised to heaven and the voice commanded the elements to be still. And when the quiet was on the water, he looked to his friends and disciples and he said, why were you afraid? Most of us would have no... Uh, difficulty understanding where that elemental emotion comes from. Just like the person texting me, big God, 
And yet it's pretty tough sometimes to receive the confidence he wants us to have in the midst of crisis. And yet, friends, this God is architecting every day to give you a place to grow, a place to have a greater faith, so that nobody comes up to the final battle and says, well, what do we do now? Satan wants to war against this church to divide and to scatter and make it grow weak, and I'd say he's been doing a pretty good job. But it's a new year. The fact of the matter is, is that God said the gates of hell are the ones that ought to be worried because they can't stand up against the aggressive warfare of my people, taking captives as prisoners of hope. I saw that the enemy would come in in every way possible to dishearten the people of God and perplex and trouble them, and that they should move understandingly and prepare themselves for the attacks of Satan. It is Satan's time to work. A stormy future is before us. And the church should be awake to make an advance move. And that they may stand securely against his plans. It is time that something was done. God's not pleased to have his people leave the matters of the church at loose ends. In other words, far down on the priority list. And suffer the enemy to have the whole advantage and control affairs as best pleases him. You know, we went two months without opening this church. I want to praise God for our audiovisual team and the staff that said, in effect, well, we can't come together right now, but we're not going to stop having church. And we had hundreds and thousands that joined us online because they wanted to go to church even if they couldn't go. And there's some joining us right now, and we're glad you're there. But the fact of the matter is, is the devil threw a great degree of fear down on the world to see what was going to happen. And wouldn't you know it, it worked better than he thought. But praise God, God's people are in the position of being aggressive in the cause of warfare. It's time that something was done. God's not pleased to have his people leave the matters of the church at loose ends and suffer the enemy to have the whole advantage and control affairs as best pleases him. The hearts of those who have dared to venture out are saddened and distressed by the lack of union on part of their fellow laborers. It was an appeal. I don't have the time to read it all, but it was an appeal to ministers to press together and what a benefit it would be to the rest of the church body when they saw the ministers shoulder to shoulder in the cause of God. Interesting side, she says, I've been shown that physicians who practice in our churches should come under the supervision of the church just as fully as the minister. Our work, she says, was not sustained by large gifts or legacies. We have few wealthy men among us. What is the secret of our prosperity? We've moved under the orders of the captain of our salvation. I'd like to bring those slides up, if we could, of the thermometers. Friends, God is good. I want to show you we had a $518 or $513,000 budget. In December, we were able to look at that and see that we could back that off a little bit thanks to the partnership of the conference. And uh, we had $40,000 at the beginning of the week we still needed. But uh, when our treasurer finished up on Thursday with the book, she said, Pastor, we made it. She was never in doubt. Praise the Lord for a great treasurer. Can you say Amen. This lady does a lot of work, send her a lot of encouragement. She's getting ready to do a whole lot more as she chronicles 
how God has moved through your heart. And then she told me, we're only $6,000 away from meeting the, the uh, extra budget it needed for the school. Now, someone came into the church on Tuesday, I think it was, with a large donation. And I said to him, hey, would you mind waiting on that? Because there's no sense in some respects having us go way over the church budget, especially when we have another budget. You know, our church school went through a little bit of trauma this year, along with so many others because of this virus. And uh, in the beginning of December, we only had $16,000. But I'm telling you today, we're done with that. Can you say amen? amen? So in the last few days, about $100,000 has flowed in here to meet the needs of God. And I'm praising the Lord. Thank you, AV team, for that. Now, when you read in Revelation 12, 12, let's go there, you find out why the devil is working so hard. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, it's the story of Satan being ejected from his heavenly home. Not God's desire, but it came to a place where it had to happen. Revelation chapter 12, looking at verse 12. Revelation 12, 12. For this reason we rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he has but what? Short time. A short time. All right. So let me ask you a question. Should the devil be a better practicer of apocalyptic living than the saints? Now, he has no hope. One goal. Take away from you what Jesus put in your heart and in your hand. That's his only goal. And of course, on the way, if he can kick Jesus again, he'll do it. And he's watching. And he's planning. And he's working. And you know what? As the wings on the clock go round and round, the mind of Satan goes round and round, and the intensity of Satan gets ratcheted up, so I want to ask you, friends, in 2021, should we simply say, oh, the signs are all around us. We know the Lord's coming soon. Or to go back to my texting friend, should we say we've got a big God? I don't want to be a person of fear. Should we actually move from profession to practice and not let the devil steal a march on us with intentionality and focus? If we know that this last 10 months of life here on planet Earth has been one of those final movements that are rapid ones, maybe there ought to be an increasing focus and rapidity and intensity and bonding and purposefulness for the people of God because they know there's only a short time too. Think about it. I'll tell you what it's going to mean. It's going to mean letting go of something else because lots of my friends find themselves busier right now than they've ever been before. What are you going to let go of? What are you going to reprioritize? The work, she writes in 1892 to the General Conference session, is soon to close. 
We are now a strong people. You see, that line was the line that jumped out at me. It's not just that we are now a strong people. It's the fact that the work is soon to close. And in the very third to the last paragraph of her address, she writes, we have an army of youth today who can do much if they're properly directed and encouraged. We want our children to believe the truth. We want them to be blessed of God. We want them to act a part in a well-organized plan for helping other youth. Let them all be trained so that they may rightly represent the truth, giving a reason of the hope that's within and honoring God in any branch of the work where they're qualified to labor. And here's the last paragraph. Listen to it. 1892, 130 years ago, we are still free to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience. That's not as true today as it was 130 years ago. There are places where there is no loophole for churches to meet. They are not as free to worship God according to the dictates of their own conscience, which might include gathering physically. As the disciples of Christ, it's our duty to diffuse light, which we know the world has not. Let the people of God be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. Now, I want to go on a journey. 2020 began 367 days ago, just like this day. At the beginning of 2020, none of us could know that we'd have 10 months of a constant barrage of all the reasons why certain things can't happen and why everybody ought to be afraid. And while there is a measure of duly constituted concern and carefulness for what we're dealing with, I'm here to assure you at this moment in time what we've learned sociologically about the mental state of America and the world is not encouraging. 367 days ago, we walked into a new year. It was 2020. This morning, I want to remind you that we have nothing to fear for the future except we forget how God's led us in the past. But what I'm going to do for us as a group of people today cannot substitute what you dads and what you moms need to do for your homes. But of course, if there's no leadership in the home or there's no leadership in the school or there's no leadership in the church, pastors, whoever are watching... You're not going to have very much to talk about, but you'll be safe and you'll be prudent and you'll get all the accolades and the affirmation from everybody in the world who's living just exactly the same way. But God's workers have always been aggressive. And I want to tell you that in 2020, when we started the year, we didn't know within two months of starting the year, maybe eight weeks, 10 weeks, we'd find ourselves to where this place was sitting empty every single day of the week. What you need to know when we started 2020 is that God had lined up all the dominoes for a very successful 365 days, which are now in the books. It's over. We had two interns from Heartland College, both with specialties in online and media dynamics. We did not know how significant those two interns were going to be to this church, both in online presence and in the production of video messaging. 
We did not know when our AV team said it's time for us to get some more cameras. We did not understand that going from a one camera shot in the very back to an updated system of cameras, all controlled robotically, would be so, so important as we watched our online audience multiply exponentially. We did not know at the beginning of the year when we were giving $10,000 to the Brazil mission that all mission endeavors, including Brazil, would take a very serious hit. And I want to tell you at the beginning of the year, we could not know how valuable leadership was, but it was in the beginning of this year that God was lining up a principal who had been through typhoons and all kinds of other things to come to our church school and lead us in a moment of crisis. I want to tell you that it was only about nine months ago that we had almost 200 people ready to fly down to El Salvador. Actually, about eight or ten actually got down there, some of the leaders of ministries. We processed with the church board about whether or not we should go. There were some cases popping up in New York. We voted to go forward. Within two weeks, things changed an awful lot. We found ourselves in El Salvador, and wouldn't you know, there were two countries that immediately shut themselves off to Americans, and wouldn't you know it, one was India, and the other was El Salvador. And you know what I want to say? Praise the Lord. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when you pay to fly 200 people to a country, you've run your plastic into their system over and over again to the tunes of tens of thousands of dollars. I want to tell you how close we got to losing tens of thousands of dollars of airline tickets. We got this close. We had a plane full of people fly out of Chicago and land in Texas, and by God's grace, things shut down before that airplane took off and landed in El Salvador. Had it landed in El Salvador and had the country stayed open one more day, two more days, we would have seen tens of thousands of dollars categorically wasted because we would have got our flight in and we would have got our flight out. Too bad for us. But I'm here to tell you that God in heaven stepped in and moved on the leaders of that country and they shut it down. And by God's grace, we have the opportunity yet to build that college in El Salvador. Praise the Lord. I want to tell you, we sent that first container off to El Salvador. We've sent another off to El Salvador. While this building was shut down, we had new flooring put in the basement. And then we come to neighbor to neighbor. Neighbor to neighbor. This wonderful new building. If you haven't been in it, be sure and go. This building gets a shell. It gets concrete in it. And wouldn't you know it, all the money for doing the project is gone unless we take the loan. We don't know why the project got to that place while this is happening. There had been this telephone pole stuck in the middle of the floor. As a matter of fact, they built the building up around the telephone pole. They ran into the telephone pole hoping it would break and they would come out and remove the telephone pole. But that was a telephone pole that wasn't going to move because God planted that telephone pole and it was to be there to put the project on the right timeline. That project was slowed down to such a point to where they used up all their money in the bank at the same time that the world was going into crisis mode. And then the question was, do we take the loan? 
because we don't know how long this is going to last. I want to tell you, God put that board and those people on a journey of making a decision. Will this work go forward? Was it ordained of God? Did we follow it this far or not? The answer was yes. They went forward. In the midst of it all, this church said, we'll raise $27,000 for you. Turned out when it was all said and done, God moved on your heart, and it was 50 plus thousand dollars. And then the Stevensville church gave 50 some thousand dollars. And wouldn't you know it, along the way, the contractors are giving up money hand over fist to get that thing done. And I'm telling you, their contribution of in excess, the contractors themselves sacrificed 200,000 plus dollars to do that building. And when it's all said and done, I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot more people with faith and confidence that it should go forward. And the Bible says, he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him. I just want you to think of those two thermometers that were up there. Are we any worse off because we gave twice as much as we planned to give? And are you any worse off personally because you sacrificed something to make God's cause go forward? I want to tell you, neighbor to neighbor is opening and doing a fantastic business, and they're needed now more than ever before. We can't dole out unemployment checks to people. We're not the government. But we can provide a way to reuse and redistribute those things at a low price. This is our ministry to the poor. There was going to be no camp meeting in this church. I'm talking for the whole conference. They had a plan for prayer meetings around the conference, which was good. But God moved on people's hearts, and there was to be a camp meeting that was going on. I want to tell you, those two interns, Michael and Jonathan, and by the way, Michael has graduated, praise the Lord, and is joining us as a regular pastor. Jonathan has gone down to Wachita Hills to serve there. The truth of the matter is, God brought those men, and I want to tell you, they had their face in front of a computer screen day after day and night after night. We had nine nights of camp meeting and nine days of camp meeting with book sales and children's programming and everything. God kept this thing going. Up in the back, we went and we made a special agreement with our internet provider. We expanded our bandwidth for everything to work. It turned out that almost without missing a beat at 7 o'clock every night, we could watch our bandwidth just go down to nothing. Our people, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, were so creative. They took what some of you may use for internet. They took a little Verizon jetpack, and they hooked it up to the system, and they streamed that internet on two different outlets simultaneously using a $40 a month contract with Verizon to get the word out. God kept the message going from beginning to end. It was during that camp meeting time that Dr. John Kelly came over to visit with us. The same John, Dr. John Kelly who's the founder of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. And he basically said, maybe we should work together. Of course, that came to fruition, and in February, we'll have 20 people going through an immersion program here and 15 people being trained. You know, in 1959, Pastor Falkenberg and a physician from the General Conference put on the first five-day plan to stop smoking. This was five years before the Surgeon General even said smoking is bad for you. Now listen, for all of you that are touting science to the nth degree, I want you to remember something. 
There are some things that are learned after the fact that were assumed during the experience that turn, turn out to be exactly as they're presented. They had a 1,000 people come in New York City to those first five-day plans. This program that's going to go on here in February is limited in size, but it should not be limited in scope. There should be many other churches around this division who teach the eight natural remedies in such a way that credibility and confidence and healing by cooperation with the Holy Spirit is the natural result. God sent that man to us in this year. About the time we're finishing uh, the, the camp meeting, we're well underway with fixing a huge problem we have at the church school. What's our problem? We have 50-year-old pipes running in the cement, and the cement's corroding them, so we have water leaking up through the cement. And you can't have water in carpet because it'll mold. It'll create all kinds of problems. I mean, it was a lot of money. We could have used our neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor money on that except God didn't have that in mind. So pretty soon there's, there's work underway, and wouldn't you know it, without taking much time, that thing snowballs, and pretty soon we have a major remodel going on at the church school. As a matter of fact, I was just looking at the picture of the church school on our website, and I'm thinking to myself, that picture needs updated. There's a nice big 20-some-foot driveway now in front of that place, and it's not in the picture. A hundred plus thousand, probably approaching the neighborhood of $200,000 when you throw in the donated labor and everything else. And there's a church school there, and God's kept us going. And even though we were down by 20 students, God's moved on your heart. That money has been raised. Dr. Panaya walks up to me over at Neighbor to Neighbor. It's funny how things work. And of course, Dr. Panaya had told us about this amazing experience over at Spicer College where they had this Islamic well drigger come out. And the well digger said, you know, you're not going to find water here until you get to like 300 feet. But they all prayed. All the leaders of the school got around that dwell, drill, drilling rig. And one person was going to pray, and Dr. Panaya says, no, we're all going to pray. You know, prayer's discipline. It's hard work. Sometimes it'd be easier. Just let one person do the praying. But they all prayed. And when that Islamic well digger, whose father or grandfather, I can't remember which one, worked there at the college, when he hit 30 feet, he hit a gusher of water that so touched him that in effect he said, this is the first time I've ever bowed my head to pray to your God. Not only did he have that encounter, but he comes to us about a month later or so and says, Pastor, would you help us with some funding for some wells? How much? 3,000. Well, that had to be adjusted to four. But when you found out about it, and some of you listening online, it wasn't enough to get one well. It was time for two. Montana trips dreamed up out of the blue within the last six weeks. Two of them. A church budget down by $80,000 and a budget for the school in the same way. And what's coming? I'm leaving a week from Sunday to go back down to El Salvador with some of our young people and our leaders. It's time for that work to go again. The immersion program's coming. The church school taking its uh, marine biology trip. I can tell you while we were down there, God provided us with an experience that bolstered my faith that we're on the right track. We went from a campsite, a group campsite, stuck at the end of an RV park, which felt to me like Slumville. That's my term for it. And he gave us a spot 20 feet from the ocean in two brand new little cabins that are half screened up and half solid. And while we were standing there where the kids will be sleeping 20 feet 
from the Atlantic Ocean. We looked out and we could see the dolphins in the water. Our young people are being given what God wants them to have, which is an encounter with the Creator. Not just a classroom with cement walls, but a classroom where they can have a sense of a completely different world, especially if you're from the Rust Belt like most of them are. And at the end of February, Tim Rosenberg will be here. And we're going to look at the prophecies in light of modern day happenings. And one more thing, friends. I don't know what else God's going to bring us in this year. But I do know this. That by the time this year ends, the church in Montana needs to be open. And there needs to be an evangelistic series. And we need some missionaries living in that apartment that we're building into it. I need you to be praying about it. Praise God for your help in it. And may God strengthen us to do it. 2021 is to be a stronger, better year than 2020. Now, during the pandemic, I purchased a bunch of books. I don't even know if any are left. I offered them to first service. The year of fear is behind us. This book is entitled Hind's Feet on High Places. If Ellen White could promote Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, I can promote this one. If you haven't read it, you are missing out on what might be the most elemental challenge to 21st century Christianity. It's a book completely about being transformed from being afraid to being unafraid. Now, if ever there was present truth outside of the scriptures, this is it. It needs to be read. And for whatever books are laying on the tables when you leave, take them, they're free. And if you want more, I'll get you more. The problem is, is that nobody seemed to want them when I offered them back in the beginning. But maybe 10 months into this thing, there's more interest than there was. I know how to be afraid. And by God's grace, I know how to be unafraid. And in this year, if I don't challenge you to a greater commitment knowing that the time is short, and I let you wander off into the good American dream, which is fading fast. I have been a false shepherd to you and unfaithful in my role. But if I call you back to the focus of your life, the stewardship of your experience and your knowledge, for some, there's not a lot of experience there. I'm calling you to a completely new experience in this year. I'm calling you to let go of, on behalf of Jesus Christ, the time wasters, the little parasites, the barnacles on your boat that are slowing down your life from charting a course to that heavenly port. I'm calling you to go from the land of fearings to the high places with the hinds feet that make you unafraid. Take your bulletins. I want you to look at the quote that's in it. The quote right there, Signs of the Times, 1902. If we accept Christ as our guide, he will lead us safely along the narrow way. The road may be rough and thorny, and the ascent steep and dangerous. Let me just pause. I think what she's saying is there'll be some things to make you afraid. I think what she's saying is there'll be cause for concern. The road may be rough and thorny and the ascent steep and dangerous. I think danger and fear could be put in the same sentence. There may be pitfalls on the right hand and on the left. 
When weary and longing for rest, we may have to toil on. When faint, we may have to fight, but with Christ as our guide, we shall not fail of reaching heaven. Thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in 2021, there can be no doubt that God's calling us to a deeper bonding. You know how it works in the end, don't you? You've heard the drill? Can't buy or sell? Have you heard that before? Or is that new knowledge to you? Can't buy or sell. You don't need to go to a right-wing news agency to find out about cryptocurrencies and, and, and the destruction of money. You don't have to do that. It could happen that way. It might happen a different way. But I do know this. There will come a time when you can't pay your water bill. And so even if you turn the handle on the tap, it isn't going to work. And if you live in the country and you think you got it fixed, that isn't going to work either because you're not going to be able to pay your electric bill. And if you think you're going to climb to a high rock and get yourself above it all because you've got backup power of some sort, that'll only work for a while until they run you out of your house and you're living somewhere else where you couldn't make preparation. Oh, it's coming. But man, I'm not bringing it up to scare you. <laughs> the last thing you need to do is be afraid of anything, especially when the Lord and Master and the creator of this beautiful white landscape today says, I will not only take care of the real problem, which is your sin-sick soul, but I'll make sure you've got bread and I'll make sure you've got water. The real truth of the matter is, do we want to make sure that anybody else knows this God that can provide bread and water and protection? The real issue is, is God's business our business with increasing intensity as we see that time is short? The real question is, is God leading us individually so that collectively we can all be doing something together? When a church of this size flexes its muscle in the, in the direction of heavenly dictate, something powerful happens. When I look back at 2020, and I think it was supposed to be the year of shutdowns, I want to tell you, there's not been a busier year in the experience of the Village Church than this one. And I don't know what's coming, but I know this. Churches are composed of a few basic commodities, people and commitment. And when you've got people but no commitment, you've got a weak church. And it doesn't matter how much money you have, when you have people and commitment, you have a strong church, even if you don't have a lot of money. Listen, we met our budget. We're paying off our bills. We're ahead of the game. Praise the Lord. We ought to work while it's day because the night comes when nobody can work. But I'm here to assure you today, friends, what really needs to change is the focus of what matters. Because when the day comes that we got to share like they did in the apostolic church, Oh, you've got two? I can have one? Really? Or how about this? I've got one. You've got none. How about if we split it? But I'm here to tell you, when you barely know each other and you're not bonded, it's another layer of insecurity. And when I know somebody's covering my back, my ability to focus on what's in front is 10 times better. Listen, friends. The final movements will be more rapid than the ones you've just gone through. The final birth pangs, you know, when the mama knows, don't bother calling the doctor, the baby's here. 
I don't know how it's going to work, but I am the father of four children, so it's not like I have no understanding of what goes on just before you hold that little life in your hands. This is the biggest birth pang the modern world has gone through. If it was isolated, it'd be one thing, but since it's a litany, maybe we ought to be as smart as the devil and be about our Father's business. What needs to change? I've said it before, I say it again. I don't plan to live afraid. I don't plan to live afraid. So behind all the scenes, it's going to be dads and moms. Most of you haven't gone back to work yet. You haven't gone back to school yet. Today would be a great day to say, honey, how does 2021 need to be different than 2020? What are we changing? Make your mind up. Pray about it. Get down on your knees and pray. Let the kids read a book for a little while or join them for you a little bit. If you need to pray longer, pray longer. Don't turn it into an ordeal for the children. But my guess is it's only going to get better as it gets worse. But I'll tell you, in January of 2021, I've got many more chapters of faith than I had in January of 2020. time to fix our eyes on heaven. This world's not our home. Our life has been better than most. We can buy our way out of lockdowns. We can send money to people who don't work. And I'm not against unemployment, but in large parts of the world, if you don't work, you don't eat, and there's no government to send you anything. I'm here to tell you we've been blessed beyond measure. We have a stewardship of a 10-talent body of people. I praise God for what you've done. I praise God for what he's going to do. I'm encouraging you to let the Lord Jesus Christ lead you on the way. It may be thorny, it may be rocky, it may go to high ground, it may be dangerous. In other words, there's going to be moments when, like the disciples, you say, we're going to die. Jesus wakes up and he says, did you forget I'm here? I'll leave you with this. On the site visit to Florida for our marine biology trip, our school principal was reading a book called Extreme Ownership. It's a book on how the Navy SEALs bond and succeed. There's a quote from John Paul Jones in there, and this is what he said. If you don't risk, you can't win. I want everybody to think about it. We're on God's side. Don't go out presumptuously and try to do big things. But when God says go, go. When God says give, give. When God says do, do. When God says commit, commit. And know the freedom and joy of toiling on when you're tired, of fighting on when you're fatigued. That's everything the Bolton quote says. And someday we'll look up and we'll see Jesus, the great deliverer in the darkest hour of earth's history, And we're going to say, lo, this is our God. We've waited for him. Friends, it's going to happen. And it's going to happen in our lifetime. 
So above all things in 2021, let's go to the high places. Let's look back and see where we've been and let's focus on our heavenly citizenship. Let's stand as we sing our closing hymn. thank you for waking us up, for rattling the world, for bringing us to attention. There'll come a time, Lord, when we can't rush deliverance in warp speed. There's people right now, Lord, who have lost businesses, loved ones, Opportunities, lifelong efforts, gone. There are people, Lord, for whom hope is not really part of their vocabulary at the moment. I pray you tell us that the righteous are a tree of life, 
Their words are a tree of life. I pray, bless us, Lord. May we not just go with words, but may we go with encouragement. It might be money. It might be assistance. I don't know what it is. But I know, Lord, as we follow Isaiah 58, and we deliver people from the bonds of oppression, that you will do a work in us and through us, which will bring glory to your name. I'm praying in this new year, Lord, please forgive us where before we've allowed blessings to anchor us to this world and keep us from looking up. Frittered away time that could be better spent getting to know the people of the church. Rejected the disciplines of prayer and the calls to gathering in favor of the comforts of our home and the interest of perusing other people's lives vicariously. I'm praying, Lord, forgive us where we've mismanaged the blessing. And I'm asking, Lord, redeem us. Redeem our kids, redeem our institutions. And I'm praying in 2021, Lord, do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Do far more than you've done in this year. And may this church go forward, not just this local church, but may other churches choose to not turn to the left or the right, to come to the roots of a simple gospel and a simple Adventism, stand out distinct from the world in a beautiful, fragrant way. May Jesus be at the center of everything. May he be Lord and leader. May we listen and follow. And I'm praying, Lord, take us to the high places in 2021. Most of all, Lord, give us a new vision of heaven, the great expense to bring us back into citizenry there and the assurance you've given. Now, Lord, our lives are yours. Bless this Sabbath, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It's 2021, but we're still practicing social distancing. We're still seeking to be careful about public health. I'm encouraging you. We'll be singing as we dismiss. You'll be dismissed from the back. We encourage you to go on outside to fellowship. It's not bitterly cold. It's kind of got a nice little physical beauty, and it's not so cold that you couldn't stand and visit in the parking lot for a few minutes. I'm inviting all of you to the prayer meeting on Wednesday night. I'm inviting you to come and get to know each other. I'm inviting you to come and practice the disciplines of symphony prayer, unified prayer. I'm inviting you to become faithful in your finances, generous indeed, committed at a different level, and not let the devil do a better job of apocalyptic living than we are. Our time is short too. We have a world to win, a hell to shun, souls to save, and great joy in the journey. May God bless you. Remain seated until the deacons come from the back, and then if you would, please head outside. God be with you.